Hello, this is Coming to the Mat, podcast from the Melanesian Women Today Impact Service Series. Told through the lens of everyday, ordinary Pacific Island women, the Mat series seeks to break cultural barriers and invite listeners to hear real human stories of making a difference. The stories you will hear from the series balance diverse interests and weave together the story of courageous women who dedicate their lives to making a difference in their communities and country. Coming to the Mat series is a safe space that allows for women in the Pacific to use their voices. It also explores the integral aspects of women's lives all across the South Pacific and gives the listener a window into the many different issues women face through storytelling. I am a child of Oceania and I, I, be- I belong long in, in many of these places across our beautiful sea of island. Hello everyone and welcome to Coming to the Mat. A child of Oceania, connecting to the spiritual home of my ancestors, the story of one storyteller and her journey. Here on the mat we believe that as the people of Oceania, our connectivity is woven through our stories. In our culture of reciprocity where everyone and everything is interconnected, interdependent and interrelated. The belief in a universal bond of sharing and celebrating of our humanity through storytelling. Our stories. This is a story of the past on the present, reclaiming our space as Pacifica people. A story of one storyteller reclaiming her space through her journey. Storytelling is better known as a common practice of passing on information and knowledge in all Pacific Island cultures that sustains our communities, validates our lived experiences, our history and epistemologies. It helps us to express our experience as oceanic peoples and nature's relationships of the past and the present and the sharing of knowledge. Storytelling is also a central focus of Pacific Island epistemology and pedagogue, how we view the past, the present, and being, whether it be in formal or formal setting of discussion of storytelling such as mythical, cultural, personal, and sacred. We view storytelling as pedagogical tools for learning about life, witnessing and remembering of life events, as well as sharing stories of spirituality as a source of strength. It is also a critical social mechanism for interconnectedness, as well as intergenerational transmission of bicultural knowledge passed down from generation to generation by the elders. I started out with this episode with a clear goal in mind, and that is to look at collective stories about experiences of Pacific Island women during COVID-19 in their own respective communities and countries. The numbers of COVID-19 confirmed cases has risen since the production of this episode, particularly in Papua New Guinea. Well, as luck may have it, the story you are about to hear is one that captures the true essence of storytelling, 
I can promise you that this story will not only captivate your curiosity, but it will also make you want to learn more about this storyteller you're about to hear from. A story that will, will also leave you dreaming of holidaying on a faraway island in the South Pacific, relaxing and unwinding from all the stresses of life by burying your toes in the sand and not a care in the world, just your typical tranquility of the Pacific Ocean scenery and the tropical nature is your oyster. Away from home, home away from home, from stress, and your home is an over-the-water bungalow nested just above the clear crystal blue water, enough to give you a view of fish swimming under your feet. But wait, there's more. This story also involves a shipwreck, an American consul, a Danish royal, and a Samoan princess, and the making of a film. Meet Kolalani Utrecht Fianu, a Tongan Australian woman with a mixed cultural background. Her mother, raised in Papua New Guinea, from a mixed European background and ancestry that goes all the way back to Samoa, and her dad from Tonga. This is her story of her journey of discovery. Hear how she is spending her time during the pandemic and what has brought her to this mystical paradise away from her home in Sydney, Australia, to the East New Britain province of Papua New Guinea, consisting of northeastern part of the island of New Britain and the Duke of York Islands. When we got up with her over Skype, she was on the tiny island of Noosa in Cavian, catching up with families and friends in New Ireland. Cavian is the capital of the Papua New Guinea province of New Ireland. However, she mostly resides in East New Britain, so you can see how things can get pretty complicated when trying to navigate your way around the country of Papua New Guinea. East New Britain and New Ireland are part of what makes up the Bismarck Archipelago. The Bismarck Archipelago is a group of islands off the northern eastern coast of New Guinea in the western Pacific Ocean and is part of the islands region of Papua New Guinea. Just to give you a quick overview of the country of Papua New Guinea before we dive into the story. Papua New Guinea is the largest country in the, in the oceanic part region known as Melanesia. The island is on a larger island called New Guinea, shared by Papua and West Papuan region of Indonesia, which makes up the second largest island in the world after Greenland. The country of Papua New Guinea, or PNG as it's often referred to, has over 600 islands, with the largest island being New Britain, which curves into New Ireland in the Bismarck Archipelago. The country is divided into 22 provinces. Welcome to Coming to the Mat, with me, your host for today, Dr. Mere Tarisovic. Kolalani Okalo, for short, describes herself as a child of Oceania, a phrase that means a couple of things to her. Her oceanic roots, ancestry roots, that stretches from the Danish throne across to the kingly Mailetoa Laupepa 
line of 19th century Samoa to the German and British held territories of Papua New Guinea, and from her dad's side, a proud daughter and descendant of the Friendly Isles, the Kingdom of Tonga. But perhaps this phrase, child of Oceania, resonates more with the depiction of a great-great-grandmother, Phoebe Parkinson, described by the American cultural anthropologist, Margaret Maid, and I quote, a true child of the South Seas, never denying her inheritance, she took with eager and so skillful hands of all that civilization brought to her feet and made a way of life of it. End of quote. Margaret Maid. The phrase also echoes the spirit of our ancestors who have traveled before her time, the lives they've lived and the journey they've traveled on, but especially her great-great-grandmother, Phoebe Parkinson, or Mitty, as she was lovingly referred to throughout Kokopo and Karadui and the Taloli people, a place that became home to the Parkinson in the early 1800s in, the, in New Britain, Papua New Guinea. The story of the Parkinson's settlement in Papua New Guinea is not your typical colonial pioneering one. Rather, it is one that is inherently connected with the people of New Britain, Kakapo, Rabao, the communities of what were Ralum, Malapu, where Parkinson's first plantation was, Karavi, Ralu, Raluna, and Kauradui. Kalo's great-great-grandmother, Phoebe Parkinson, was a mixed-race Pacific Islander, woman half-American, half-Samoanch, and was an outstanding linguist who spoke many different languages fluently, English, Samoan, French, German, Tolali language, regional dialects, and pidgin, which made her an indispensable business and cultural conduit. Phoebe Beckinson was a linguist and a translator for her Danish botanist and anthropologist husband, Richard Parkinson. Through his anthropological studies, his work, 30 Years in the South Seas, that was honored and recognized by worldwide scientific bodies who also established PNG's first coconut plantations. Richard Parkinson, described by former PNG Prime Minister Sir Rabi Nam. Namilu as the father of PNG's commercial agriculture. Unbeknown to most people, Richard was a Danish royal blood. He was the illegitimate son of Christian August II, Duke of Augustenburg, second in line to the Danish throne. After Richard died in 1907, Phoebe remained in New Britain among the Tolali people. She was renowned for her huge heart and love for the people. Her impact in Papua New Guinea as a linguist has left a lasting impact on Kahlo's family and ignited a passion in Kahlo to embark on her own journey, to learn more about this mystical place and why it means so much to her family. Since the late 1800th century until 1990, generations of Kahlo's family lived in East New Britain and other parts of the country, and the stories of life there have been embedded in family lore. The family's connection to the Pacific Islands date back to 1838, when American consul Jonas Corr was shipwrecked of Samoa. He married a Samoan princess and had two daughters, Emma and Phoebe, in addition to 18 other children by five women. In her blog, 
called Pilest Belong Me, A Tale of Coming Home, Part 1, Hello Noted. Our family legacy here in East New Britain is quite a remarkable story, one that starts on the tiny island of Savai'i in Samoa when my great-great-great-grandfather, Jonas Coe, an American, was shipwrecked on the island in 1838. Jonas was only a teenager at that time, but he soon fell in love with Samoa and its women, taking six wives from whom 18 children were born. His first wife, Leutu, also known as Joanna Tale Tale, was a cousin to Samoa's royal Maliatoa Laupepa. She bore eight children to Jonas, including sisters Emma and Phoebe. Emma was considerably older than Phoebe and had already sailed across the seas, married, and begun building a commercial trading empire by the time she returned to Samoa to ask Phoebe, only 16, and Phoebe's much older husband Richard Parkinson, a botanist and the son of a Danish duke, to join her in a voyage that would take them to a new world, to a new mysterious land known as New Guinea. As a storyteller, a collector of stories and documenter, Kahlo sees her journey as a calling from her ancestors, calling her to honor their story and cherishing their lives by following in their footsteps and remembering them through her documentaries of stories and the lenses of her camera. After her beloved grandparents, Alf and Mary Lou Utrecht, passing, she volunteered to be the contact person on the ground to help a family community repatriate her grandparents' ashes from Australia to PNG. Alf Utrecht is the grandson of Phoebe and Richard Parkinson, who was raised by Phoebe and is close to her. One of Phoebe's daughter, Dolly, had married Peter Utrecht, who had come to the Duke of York to work for Hensham and Cor. Alf was born there in 18, 1926, delivered by a lady doctor who later became Lady Felice Cilionte, who is renowned for her work around mother and child care. Hala remembers her first introduction to PNG as an infant when her mom took a trip back to PNG from Australia to introduce her baby girl to her late grandparents, Alf and Mary Lou Utrecht, in Ley, the second biggest largest city in PNG. Leaving her home in Sydney, Australia, she set out to start her own journey by traveling to East New Britain province in the archipelago of Papua New Guinea, last year where her mom, one of 10 children, was raised. A country she knew so much about from the stories she's heard growing up from her late grandparents, her uncles, her aunts, and mom. For her beloved late parents, Alf and Mary Lou, and their 10 children, PNG is full of memories and has shaped much of their collective identity. And for her as the daughter, granddaughter of Alf and Mary Lou Utrecht, these stories were very much part of who she is today. Despite only growing up and living only in Australia her entire life, Kahlo always felt a strong connection to PNG because her grandparents made sure the memories stayed alive in their home in Australia and the stories they would tell to their grandchildren of the tales of the adventures they had, family history, the exotic beauty, captivating and enchanting cultures of this faraway land that has earned the catch cry, expect the unexpected. In her blog title, Bless Belong Me, A Tale of Coming Home, 
Part 2, she noted, The journey of bringing my grandparents home to the family Matmat became a journey of coming home for me also. I've never lived outside of Australia before or had the desire to set up anywhere else until I arrived here. Part of Carlos' trip back home is also to reclaim her space as a Pacifica storyteller. In honouring her elders, she seized this opportunity to connect the past and the present histories through her film, Child of Oceania, paralleling between her life and her great-great-grandmother, Phoebe Parkinson. Carlo believes oceanic voices have been minimized for far too long and sees the rise of digital and traditional Pacific storytelling as an opportunity to shine a light on and at the same time be an inspiration to other Pacific Islanders, storytellers, to use these platforms to tell their stories. After co-creating Pacifica Film Fest, a platform for Pacific filmmakers, she is ready to reclaim space for herself as a Pacifica storyteller by launching her own featuring documentary, A Child of Oceania. I give you Kololani Yutres Vainu. Welcome to the mat. Well, thank you very much for, for reaching out and giving me the opportunity to, to chat with you. I'm very fascinated that you've called yourself the child of Oceania. That really got me right there. So tell me about yourself and what does that mean, child of, uh, of Oceania? Okay, so I guess I, um, that little um, phrase, it, um, it actually means a couple of things for me. I, it's, it actually comes from a little quote in um, a Margaret Mead book, which is actually um, written in reference to my great-great-grandmother, who was Phoebe Parkinson, and she was a half American, half Samoan, and travelled over to um, Papua New Guinea in, in the late um, 1800s. Mm. Um, and there was uh, uh, one, of the, one of the writers made reference to her being child of a and that kind of really always resonated with me because I'm also of, you know, mixed cultural background. Mm. Um, my mother being born in Papua New Guinea, but her parents sort of being of mixed uh, Europe, European background um, with ancestry that does go back to Samoa. And then my father coming from Tonga, but me always having grown up in Australia. So I've always felt that I've had many homes and that I belong to many places and so and they're all Pacific places they're all across Oceania Mm. and so I guess that that little statement that that was written was written about my great-great-grandmother you know and I've also always sort of resonated with her her story and so I I guess that was just a bit of a a nice little way to sort of sum up how I also feel I feel like I I am a child of Oceania and Mm. I, I belong long in, in many of these places across our beautiful sea of islands. Mm. So what has brought you to Papua New Guinea then? Uh, so last year um, I was helping, um, I was part of you know a, my family group um, organising the repatriation of my grandparents' ashes to come back and be buried at our family's 
cemetery here in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. And we had a big custom ceremony for that um, around September. Um, but because I had been spending so much time here, um, helping to organize with that, I was really starting to connect with um, this place. And I was also making a, a documentary about sort of my journey and reconnecting and family history and all that kind of stuff stuff so I've been forwards trying to continue with the with the storytelling um, but I've also um, the way I've kind of really fallen in love with the idea of, of making a life here and living here so you know it's a little bit a little bit of coming here to, to tell the story but it's also now become a bit of a journey and a new chapter in my life where I will probably you know you know um, look at building foundation here and and a life here you know um, at least in the foreseeable future yeah that's beautiful so so would you call yourself a storyteller artist what would you call yourself Oh, I think that's another one of those things like calling myself a child of Oceania. I don't really belong to one place. And I think the same is in my work. I, I also do many things. And so I don't actually have a title. I, you know, I can refer to myself as a, sometimes as a creative entrepreneur or a, a manager of many multiple projects. But I, I, I genuinely tend to work in um, storytelling, uh, um, creative work, I, you know, and, and typically I work um, with Pacific storytelling. Um, I run a, a film festival mm. called Pacifica Film Fest, um, which we started back in 2013, a festival designed to celebrate um, Pacific stories. Um, so I, I do that as, as a, a, a sort of like a curator um, of, of Pacific film. Mm. It's very nice. So what, how did that passion come about? I work as a, as a creator myself doing the, the filmmaking. Mm. The storytelling passion? Uh, yeah, the storytelling passion and then, you know, in terms of like the, finding your voice in that medium of, uh, say, filmmaking and photojournalism and the media arts and all the production of that. How did, how did that come about? Well, I guess my first creative influence was um, my mother. Mm. Um, you know, she loved to take photos, and I remember her having a dark room in, in our house as I was growing up, and I remember making prints from a very early age. Um, and when I was 16, I got a camera for my birthday. And so when it came sort of to the time when I was, um, you know, at that uni sort of age, it came. It was sort of a very natural progression to do something in, in the arts field and, and photography was an interest. And I didn't pursue it because I thought it would be a career. It was just an interest. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I did my um, degree in photography. And as I got towards, you know, my um, second and third year where I sort of had to d- decide on a... A discipline, whether I was going to do like commercial photography or um, the documentary or the journalism side, I was really interested and pulled towards the journalism and the documentary. And I think that was because I've always had um, a passion for telling stories and, and learning about other people's stories. Mm. So I guess it, that's where it all, all started from. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about um, what you referred to as PFF, Pacific Film Fest, and um, what was the passion? Of, I mean, what was the big idea behind that for you? What was the driving cost for you? Yeah, so Pacifica Film Fest was um, 
as I said, it was launched in 2013 and a big driving force behind the creation of Pacifica Film Fest was that I was at uni again in a different degree, doing a master's degree in media arts production. And uh, I'm always very inspired to sort of create stories that I, I mean, I think it's very natural to want to create stories that you can resonate with. And so I'm always looking in my backyard, looking at myself and looking at people around me. And, um, and so I was trying to research, you know, stories about other Pacific people and looking in the film library at our university and looking for Pacific content, and I couldn't find any. Um, and I remember at, at that time, there was only one other Pacific person um, at the same university as me um, in this particular course. And um, so we obviously, we connected. Um, and actually, we both we both run the festival now together. But it, we we had this discussion. Wouldn't wouldn't it be great if there was you know somewhere we we could go to and find stories about you know, Pacific people just for you know Pacific stories? That would be cool. And um, you know, so we kind of dreamed up this idea. And then um, you know, a couple of years after uni finished, I I actually was living in a creative warehouse and I had an opportunity um, through a small community grant to do something in the arts and um, cultural diversity sort of area and I just pitched the idea of this film festival that was kind of a dream back in uni and that's how it all it all started and from there you know it was it was quite clear from the, the very first turnout that people were very curious and there was a need for people to see stories made um, from the region because it's they're really hard to access you know and it's become there are de there's definitely a big movement now and there's more and more Pacific storytellers out there. Mm -hmm. But still, once they've been made and seen in, fe in festivals, it, they're still quite hard to access. You know, mm -hmm. you don't generally see them replayed again on TVs and replayed again on Netflix or, yeah. you know, so we're trying, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create more representation and more visibility and more access mm -hmm. to, to our stories. So do you think that one day you'll, you'll be able to see those stories on Netflix since Netflix is now such a worldwide uh, platform for stories and films. I absolutely think so, yes. Mm. I think, you know, um, especially over the last couple of years, there's been a real surge in interest in the Pacific yeah. for a whole myriad of reasons. Yeah. But there's also with that big of um, people in you know and our communities really taking ownership of our mm, stories in a very meaningful way and so I think that that can only lead to more representation I mean some places are much better at it than others you know New Zealand for example is is very good there's a very strong push good great deal of good you know talent over mm. there and um so i definitely think that you'll be seeing you know we're, we're, you've got even with you know um big time actors mm. from the rock and, and to, to mm. the, our young ones mm. that are coming up there is representation it's there and it's mm. happening and it's evolving and i feel like it's just the beginning and mm. i have no doubt that you know um mm. we'll have much more representation um over the years but we all have to be part of that you know we have to be right. part of that evolution mm. and put our hand up and be the creators and take that ownership and and do it but i think we are doing it so mm. it's a really um good thing and i think one what a place to be for you because i mean png is kind of like the dream place for anthropologists for instance and you know, thinking about the stories that you can bring forth, I can just imagine. I mean, I'm just picturing in my head, um, as a storyteller yourself. You know, can you can you foresee something happen in Papua New Guinea that could be, I don't know. I mean, I've we've watched um, 
now I can't remember the name, uh, producing a book and deal. Um, Mr. Pip. Um, uh, yes. Yes, and um, I, you know, I'm just thinking about something, you know, probably soon here. And you, can you tell us a little bit? I thought I uh, something about a, a production in Solomon Islands. Was that part of the Pacific Film Fest? Uh, well, yeah. Our organisation went over to uh, the Solomon Islands uh, last year, mm. and we worked together with. Um, the Native Lens Film Festival, who run by two local girls, um, who have been very active in the film sort of community, the local film community there, and that was the very first launch of their film festival, Native um, Native Lens Film Festival. And so, we worked together with them to uh, present a film challenge, which is part of our usual um, calendar of events, you know, for our festival, where we do workshopping with you know emerging filmmakers from pacific communities but this at this point it was in the solomons so we do the workshopping then they go out and they, they create a film in 48 hours um, and then present the film to us and then those films get the opportunity to go into our festival and so yeah we were we would we would they did most of the work to be honest they did they did everything and we were just there um as, as a little bit of support um to you know um while they did their first launch and it was it was a really great experience experience and what it demonstrated is that there are so many young people out there actually already making stories it's just that we don't have these platforms yes. to share them all the time you know because I was like wow look at all these people and right. oh my god they're already making great stuff and they have mm -hmm. skills and they know what they're doing so right. it was really encouraging to see that and it also just reinstated you know why it's important for us to maintain this platform and keep growing this platform so that we we can continue to share and elevate our our stories. Mm. So how does how does being in Papua New Guinea different from being in Australia and trying to tell a story from the, there? You, can you find or is there obvious two different lens when you're trying to think about, you know, um, telling stories from your point of view as a storyteller through film or photography or any other platform? How how is that any how is that different? Um, I think um, I think there's some similarities in, in in the challenges in terms of I mean in, you know obviously uh, it's hard to get minority representation on Australian you know, screens, um, but here the the challenge is that there's not a lot of platforms mm -hmm. to show it. You know you've got your news channels, uh, you don't have the same um, I guess. But you have lots of distribution options, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, um, one of the wonderful things about the technology of the times that we live in is yeah. that, you yeah. know, pe people can, can do, you know, um, storytelling from anywhere with anything. You know, you have a phone, you have a, you have a camera. Yes. <laughs> um, and you have a social media page, you have a publishing site. So, um, but I think, like, look, the same experience that I had in Solomons is that here there are just so many storytellers, mm. you know. There are people there that are creating and collecting stories everywhere. We've just got to you know, keep building those networks and, and connecting people with each other. But like the 
wonderful thing about Papua New Guinea is mm. just it's so diverse. It is diverse. There's so yes. many, yeah. <laughs> so many, so many languages, uh, customs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the stories from you know here to 15 minutes down the road can completely change. I mean, for me, it's mm. like an endless opportunity of storytelling exists here. Right. So, so um, I was going to ask you that because you know you, you of course, but I think that's why I started with the question of you know describing yourself as a child of the ocean of Oceania, and you coming from. Uh, such a diverse background, but then you're you're in this country with its diversity. How is that? Like, does that mind blowing for you? And sometimes when you think about it, and I mean, I think it's incredible for you. Yeah, yeah no, and and I think it's it's what it's what I really love about this country is mm. that it is so diverse and there's so much to explore and you know. Uh, nobody really has even scratched the surface because mm. a lot of the things that we see to date and a lot of the content that's made to date, especially here, um, has always been done by outsiders. And I'm talking very generally here, mm. but, you know, that the, the, it's very, like, there's a lot of, like, tourist kind of marketing mm. and then stories done, you know, documentary stories, but they're always, you know, for the majority, have, have been told by, by other people. Mm. So what I see is a great opportunity now for especially for all the up-and-coming talent um, you know locally local people to tell their own stories in their own voices and and create their um, you know their more authentic voice and representation of, of you know the stories that are, that are meaningful to them um, and yeah it's I mean as a storyteller myself I I mean, my, my mind just kind of pops every day. I'm like, oh, I could do a story yeah. on this, and oh, I could do a story on that. And it, 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 I, I honestly would never run out of ideas. Yeah. I can't imagine it. <laughs> I was just thinking to, yeah. I, I grew up in the village, so that's exactly what my thinking is. Like, every single turn, corner, you're, you know, meeting somebody or just seeing something, like, you know, the, a bird. Or I mean, speaking of a bird, can you describe what's happening behind you? Because I'm, I'm listening to all this different, you know, like this birds and for our audience, to kind of get a feel of where you are. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll describe where I am. I'm actually very lucky at the moment. I'm on a little island called oh. Noosa Island and I'm surrounded by turquoise <laughs> blue waters. I'm actually sitting on an overwater bungalow. And I'm stuck and in a little there tiny are... house. <laughs> <laughs> and there are birds flying and fish swimming just underneath oh me. So I, it's, look, it's a very okay. ideal location where I am right now. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. Not to rub it in, but I'm in paradise. Okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. What a, yeah, so the birds. What kind of birds do, do you think they are? Because they sound pretty... Oh, wow. like, they almost sound like palaquin, you know, in, you know? It's like just the sound of it. Um... I can't say that I'm exactly, but I know they've. We there's some interesting birds here. They've got little parrots. Mm. Um, they've got a kokomo here, which is you know mm. that really tropical yeah. one with the really long oh, beak oh, that comes yeah. down. Yeah. And then sometimes we get some like you know there's lots of seabirds mm. going across the ocean. They're probably the ones that you're hearing. Yeah. Um, probably going and looking for their their lunch. Right. Um, and, and here so we are speaking you know, on Skype. I mean, I can't fathom that. It's just crazy. <laughs> Yeah, look, you know, I, I sometimes 
pinch myself because <laughs> before I came back to PNG, I thought, oh, I'm never going to be able to use the internet. It's going to be so hard to like do my work. Uh-huh. But no, I'm on an island oh, in a gosh. very remote place yes. and I can use all of this technology and reach absolutely anybody. That's most of the time. <laughs> no, not all the time. Sometimes it, the internet is a problem depending on where you are. But, you know, generally speaking, uh-huh. it's just, it's it, it's quite incredible that, that we can sit here and do this. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah, so how is your, ex- okay, so you're sitting on a tiny little island. It's beautiful. Okay, I can picture it in my head now because I'm just going to be crying. <laughs> and I can, I can smell the forest, the tropical you know the center of the, the air mm. and everything and the sea so mm. um, what is it like for COVID-19 because you know here I am in the United States out of all places the riots going on everywhere in the country in Seattle and I mean I'm, I'm from Melanesia by the way from Vanuatu but tell us what it's like there with the COVID-19 yeah look I, I would have to say that I am really grateful Mm. um, and I'm really happy that my COVID experience was done here Mm. in Papua New Guinea um, because, um, you know, although we've had, uh, you know, we've had very low um, confirmed cases, eight um, is all that we've had here um, and no community transmission that we know of. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though we did have um, some lockdown periods um, and we're still currently under a state of emergency sort of Mm -hmm. controlled orders, in general, we've... Life has been relatively unchanged. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, in the areas where there were confirmed cases, there were small lockdown areas where people weren't allowed to travel outside of certain boundaries. And so, but what was beautiful is that the community came together and they went and got um, food donations and brought all the food, fresh garden food, Mm -hmm. rice, everything that they needed. And it was all donated and dropped off inside the communities. So it really showed um, how communities come together here Mm -hmm. during these times. But life is, you know, um, it got slower and quieter, which, mm-hmm. you know, islands are already slow yeah. and quiet. Yes. Um, there was, <laughs> but, you know, like, it, we're not we're not locked into, you know, brick walls right. and right. Um, mm-hmm. small confined spaces mm-hmm. in the same ways other people in, in other countries yeah. would be. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm definitely, I could still get in my car and I can still come down to, you know, see the water and, Mm. um, you know, but you see social distancing measures in place and, Mm. you know, there were times when we weren't allowed to, you know, shake hands and do all the rest of it, but Mm. we still have freedoms and and that's been a real blessing. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so where you are right now and and you obviously have been doing some work for your family and so can, can you tell us a little bit about that on your Instagram and blog? There were some pictures of um, some women doing some um, um, soccer, is, is, that, is that what it's called? Like, um, oh, the saksa? Yes, the saksa. Making sago? Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so um, I, my, my uncle has been working in, in the Gulf province mm-hmm. um, and he was involved in coordinating um, a new project out there which is a sort of just a mechanized processing mill for Sago. So mm-hmm. for those listening who don't understand how Sago mm-hmm. is, you know, uh, normally harvested or produced, so um, it's normally considered women's work here. Mm-hmm. So the women will go out to the bush, they will cut down a tree, which, you know, with a with very rudimentary tools, an axe, and once the tree is cut down, they'll cut it into a segment 
they'll have to skin it and then they cut it in half and then they scrape and mm. they use like you know this tool they pound at it and scrape it all day long sometimes wow. they can be there from six in the morning to six at night just to do one little section of of the log mm. um, and then it has to be washed um, and squeezed mm. um, usually they can only use whatever water source is available to them so if it's the river that just happens to be there they use the river you know mm. so it's not it's not filtered and um, in any sort of way mm. um, so what this so it's quite laborious very laborious I right. should say it you know it takes women away from doing other things like looking rearing their children looking mm. at their gardens etc etc and so, it often takes you know young young girls away okay. from from school yeah. as well so um, what the the new mill has done mm. is it's created a system that allows the logs to be um, shredded you know very quickly mm. Mm. and so this then the machine does all the, all the work mm -hmm. and then they've set up um, you know clean water tanks which is harvesting rainwater mm. um, so that you know mitigates any of the health issues that might come with washing it in, in dirty water mm. and they're also producing you know four times as much product from one tree mm. than they would if they were doing it the, the, the manual way and so there's lots of um, there's lots of benefits for the women because they have more time um, to do other things and um, it's, so it's having a really positive impact um, in the community. So mm -hmm. I, that's what I was going along to uh, document mm -hmm. and, and um, help spread the word about mm -hmm. um, with my uncle. And it was a really interesting learning experience, actually. Mm -hmm. So how do you see yourself in your storytelling? How, does it, how do you see that being empowering women um, and girls, especially where you are right now? Um, how do I see it? I mean, I guess, you know, for, in this particular story, it, it's a, and it's a crucial element. Um, it's a very, um, very relevant to the needs of, of this, of the general community across Papua New Guinea. You know, violence against women yeah. here is still um, a big issue. Yeah. And so any time that you can use your storytelling to to show uh, solutions, mm. to have a positive impact on that. I mean, that's when your 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 creative talent and skills become a real asset mm. to um, other people mm. as well, because there's benefits and direct impact that can come from sharing stories like mm. this. And um, I think that's the greatest sort of um, benefit of you know your your storytelling is if it can have an impact a positive impact on on other people um, whoever it may be yeah. um, you know what more could you ask for than to do something like that with with what you do with what yeah. you create and what you share do you find that you're learning a lot about yourself um, your heritage and the things that you're learning that are new as well as you and unpack the stories on its own and by talking to people around you or seeing things how they're done or just being able to discover new things do you find that you that's some sort of way that you're learning new new stories and new ideas or just anything that you you might come across oh absolutely i think why i enjoy storytelling is 
and and doing what I do is because it it provides me an opportunity to connect with people new people all the time so I'm constantly learning I'm and I I go there you know um you know I may have a job but what I actually do is I get I get an experience out of it you know what I mean and so it's it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to be invited or engaged to to go um, on these kinds of trips and I, I say invited because rather than saying being employed to do a, a task or a job I see it as, as an opportunity to um, to learn evolve connect um, and I think that's a privilege mm. because you know you, you can get invited into very very remote communities you can go into people will share stories that are you know personal stories um, they will share traditional knowledge with you I mean these experiences aren't open for you know a lot of people won't yeah. have them you know and so what my what my camera and mm. what my my storytelling mm. s- skills give me is they they op- they open up doors and they give me access and and that is a great pr- privilege and I and I see it as a privilege and and I'm honored to be able to be to do that and so yes the answer to your question is I'm, I'm constantly learning and it's um it's a great thing to be able to be out to do on a regular basis do you find that people are willing um to talk to, to, to you about their stories are they open to the ideas of sharing their experiences yeah i think they do i think you know the way i approach things is you know i've never really been a news person you know hard news till Get, get, yeah. get the story, get in, get out, right. see you later. Right. So, you know, for example, in the Gulf, we, I was there for a week. Mm. And so you're going there every day, you're meeting people, and, you know, you don't just go on the first day and say, okay, tell me your whole life story. Right. You spend time, you know, you connect mm. with people, mm. and they connect with you, and then everything just sort of happens very organically. Mm. And and when people get a sense that you have a, a, a sincere and meaningful interest in 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 their life or their story they generally just offer it up to you mm. um, you know it's just like having a conversation you know you tell me something about you I'll tell you something about me mm. and before you know it they're dragging you down here to meet their boo-boo and yes. th- over here to yes. show you something in the village yeah. you know and 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 they want to share mm. and I think that's very natural to want to sort of tell and share and mm. and connect you know it's um yeah so I'd say people really are open to that so so with your you know in your, your family background that must have made it more enriching as well for you and also for those who are coming to know you because you're finding that like I like that phrase that you you I mean that word you use the child of Oceania because you think about it the Pacifics in itself I sometimes I hate to kind of you know put Melanesia Polynesia Micronesia because we are all people of the ocean in so many ways yeah so I that's why I was like I have to ask her that um, so what would you like to say to the young people of the Pacific who are interested in filmmaking or s- pursue a storytelling career? Um, what would you like to say to them? Well, I think, you know, of course I'd say if that's something that interests you, then go ahead and pursue it. You know, I think the greatest gift that we can give to ourselves is to to make our lives um, meaningful by doing things that we enjoy but also using that 
that that tool and that gift to um, you know have some sort of real impact on on our communities and the world around us. Mm. I think um, you know as I mentioned before, one of the greatest advantages of the time that we're living in now is that storytelling. Um, is really accessible to anyone because you know you have a phone you can start shooting you you can have an app to do editing you have networks that are free that you can publish on so just get started mm. just get out there be curious ask questions to you know just you could ask people in your family you can go into your village you can just you know go and explore and just make little stories start small but just do it regularly be curious and um just start creating i always just say to people just start doing because once you start doing it that'll lead you to something else Mm -hmm. and you you know it's kind of like a dominoes effect so you know i think if you are curious about something, explore it. Um, and you'll never know what doors will just open up. You would be surprised, actually, what doors open up from, from you doing that. And and once you become known for being somebody also that's curious and, and tells stories, you'll find people also will start to come to you and say, hey, this, this would be something you'd be interested in. So, you know, and that's 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 a starting point. And then, um, you know, from, you know, from there on, you know, the world is your oyster, really. Just um, there's so many opportunities. I mean, and storytelling is, you know, is so many different formats. You know, mm-hmm. writing and and you know, there's filmmaking, there's radio work, there's um, poetry. I mean, you know, it, it, storytelling is is not confined to just sort of one medium um, or platform. And so, you know, it's it's quite diverse as well. Do you think? Do you think that maybe the Pacific should enhance on? all of this different platform with the fact that we are now we have in the technology era since we are COVID-19 as well and, and tourism is constrained. Do you think that this could be a, one way for young people to be um, pursuing this kind of field so that their voices, but just not their voices in ways that they can at least make some sort of way of a living through this? Is, is this a possibility for you know, young people who are right now in the Pacific worrying about what, what kind of a job can I be going for? How can I make money? Um, is, is this a possibility? Um, I mean, do you mean, you know, utilizing yeah. technology? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's definitely, um, and I think especially, I mean, as we just spoke about, I'm sitting in a pretty remote place mm. and have access to be able to mm. Skype with you. Mm. And so the tools are there, which means that the the boundaries have, have now sort of, you know, before it's like, oh, I'm living in a really remote place and I can't do this because I'm stuck over here. But really now, there are no boundaries because mm. that's what the, you know, the internet provides us, um, uh, you know, gateways to, to be able to connect with anyone around the, the world at any time. Mm. And so you, I think that, yeah, people living in the Pacific should really broaden their minds internationally and say, hey, I, I can connect with um, this organization and I can pitch to them that I've got this skill and maybe they want to hear stories from and that's exactly what actually happened to me um, here during COVID you know I wasn't expecting um, you know the lockdown to happen or to be stuck here during this time Um, but I was and so then I had to work out okay how am I going to there I I probably do need to do pick up a little bit of work while I'm here Um, there's some other stuff you know Um, and so I reached out you know 
to an organisation. I said, hey, um, this is where I am right now. Um, would you like any stories from this part of the world? And they said, yes, because we can't send anyone there. You're there. You've got skills. You've got internet. Okay, let's do it. You know, so I think that's a really important um, message for, um, you know, our, our people in the Pacific right. who um, are storytellers and who not to limit yourself to think that you can't go um, up and out and reach out to people and say, hey, this is me, this is what I do, right. um, I'm here, uh, you know, can I, can, are you interested? Mm. And all they can say is, um, well, at the moment, no, but at least we've got your, your, your name on file. Or they mm. might go, yeah, actually, yeah. you know, that's, that's really interesting. Oh, let's, let's do something. Mm. So, yeah, get out there and, and, and connect. So if people want to reach you through, um, you know, maybe they want to know more about your work, how could they reach you and more, know more about Pacific Film Fest? I mean, that's probably maybe something that I know that a lot of young people Pro, especially those who are writing to us here on Melanesian Women Today, there's a lot of youth who are very talented as well, and they are kind of you know searching for other talented, uh, experienced filmmakers out there. Um, how can they reach you? Well, I guess you know if. I think, first of all, they can head across to our um, Pacifica Film Fest uh, website. Awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just pacificafilmfest.com. We're also on social media, Facebook and, and Instagram, so we're not too hard to find. Mm -hmm. um, we have contact details on our website mm -hmm. um, for, for email. I mean, you'll also find me across social media platforms, so I'm not too hard to, mm -hmm. to inbox with a little message. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, I think, you know, I think the wonderful thing about um, you know, our Pacific community is that we're all very open and welcoming in, and I think if anyone was to reach out and say, hey, can, can I connect or can I ask you a question, you know, I'm interested in doing something, that you're more than likely to get a really positive reply mm. and, and um, from somebody. So, you know, I think uh, don't, don't be scared to reach out every now and again and, and mm. broaden your, your, your networks with your, your peers across the region. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's probably what I would say that people, people can do. Well, thank you so much again, Carla, for talking to us today. It's been a great pleasure, and I am still very jealous of where you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for the chat. It's been really lovely, and yes, yeah, sorry to rub it in. But <laughs> no, it's absolutely look, wonderful. It's, we need to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you just just dream. Yes. Just sit there and, and think of your your island home and, and manifest it that it's around you. Warm air, salty breeze, nice, you know, fresh uh, fresh food. Yes. Um, yeah, so, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, thank you for your time today. It's been really nice to, to chat and to be able to share a little bit of what I've been doing from, mm -hmm. from over here um, in Papua New Guinea. Thank you. Thank you so much. This podcast is created and produced by Melanesian Women Today, a non-profit organization. Please visit our website at www.melanesianwomentoday.org. That is all one word. Melanesian Women Today envisions a Pacific region where every woman, girl and child in their respective communities in Melanesia lives a productive, healthy and fulfilling life. We are on a mission to improve the well-being and quality of lives and also to promote and improve leadership in women and girls in their communities. Please consider making a donation today on our website to support our work. Thank you for your support.